0: I want to talk to us today about how to be a light in the dark times, in the darkest of times. How to be a light. Judy and I just not long ago read through the book of Judges, and we were almost depressed by the end of it. At the end of it, she just kind of laid her Bible down and said, I'm glad we're finished with that one. You, know, you feel that when you read the book of Judges? It's like, glad we're done with that one. <laughs> Let's go on. And the, the theme that's repeated in the book of Judges there was no king in those days, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. There was no king, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. You remember the old Western song? Um, I remember Roy Rogers singing, Don't fence me in, give me land, lots of land, don't fence me in. That could have been their theme song, don't fence me in. Don't tell me what to do. Don't, 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 don't pressure me. I want to, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. There's no king in the land. I'll, I'll make up my own rules. And the result of that was disastrous. It was disastrous to the point of Judy's coming. I'm glad I'm done with that. It was not fun reading and was the darkest of times. You ever feel that a little bit about the news when you watch it today? I'm glad that's over. You watch the news and say, I'm glad that's over. Lord Jesus, help us. The big picture of the book of Judges, if you haven't read it in a while, is that it opens with the fact that the Israelites did not complete the task of cleansing the land that had been assigned to them. Um, When Joshua was getting ready to, to die... He said, now, each of you has an assignment, and he gave them very specific assignments. He says, not every one of these tribes has been removed, and you guys over there, you need to take that hill. You need to take that mountain over there that's in your territory. That's your land for expansion. You over here. And he gave them a lot of assignments when you you read that in the book of Joshua before the book of Judges. But the people just kind of um, said, you know what? Uh, we can have peace with these idol worshipers. I mean, yeah, they're idol worshipers, but you know what? Mm, you know, we can have peace with that. A little idolatry won't hurt us, you know. Regardless of what they had seen in the leadership of Joshua of, of Moses and then in Joshua, they simply said, uh, you know what? No thanks. I think we'll do it, we'll, we'll just do it our way. There would be rest for a while when God would raise up a leader like a, like a Deborah. God would raise up a good leader of integrity like Deborah. She was one of the few, actually, that really stuck with it. And they would have rest for a while. But then, as soon as that time was over, they would go back to the pig pen of idolatry. And they turned away from the Lord. I've done teachings before about why they did that. What was the human reason? I realize the spiritual reasons, but what was the human reason that anyone would turn to idolatry after serving the Lord? It just seems like night and day. And I've talked before about the licentiousness of idol worship, the self-pleasing, the selfishness of idol worship. There were so many aspects of idol worship that pleased the flesh, the prostitutes that were available in almost all the places of idol worship there was just a freedom to just let your flesh do what your flesh wanted to do and the human aspect is attracted to that personal just do what i want to do but just about in the middle of the book of judges samson comes on the scene what a mixture boy what a mixture that guy was god used him Uh, Of course, God can use a brick. Uh, God used Samson. But Samson could never seem to stay on track with the Lord. He continually did what was right in his own eyes, which was the modus operandi of of that time. He was birthed with an anointing mainly because he had parents that were obedient to the Lord. But our parents' faith and our parents' integrity will only carry us so far, right? Mom and dad's faith, grandma's prayers will only carry you so far. There's a point at which you make choices. I hear these sports figures all the time saying, "Mom, mom, it was my mom that did it. That'll carry you so far, little ways, not very far." Pretty soon we have to make choices. Basically. Samson just loved the wrong things, especially the wrong women. He was just loosey-goosey. And I think we're all aware that God had made a covenant and asked his mother particularly to not cut his hair, not allow his hair to be cut. His hair was a sign of his covenant with God. But he didn't value his covenant with God all that much. We can see it clearly. He just didn't value it. It wasn't of high value to him. It's like, uh, okay, whatever. What he loved more was his own pleasure. What he loved more was his personal pride. What he loved more was his displays of strength. He loved to watch his muscles pop, and boy, could they pop. So this little flippy heathen girl named Delilah seduced him, in allowing her to cut his hair off. And I'm sure you're familiar with the story that he became a slave to the Philistines, who were despised at that time, idolatrous people, um, always the enemy of God, always the enemy of God's people. He became a man who did the work of an animal, a blind prisoner doing the work of an animal, end, of course, he had one more mighty deed that God used him in, but he never regained the promise of God's intention in his life. He never got back to the promise of God's intention for him. When Judy and I read that, I just said to her, I said, wow, I've reached on Samson a number of times. I've never seen him as a type of our nation before. I do now. I see Samson as a type of our nation. And the sad place to which my nation has come. Are, are you like me? You look at the news and you say, who are these people? Who, who, who are these people? I look at polls and I say, who are those people? I don't know that America. One of my pastor's friends, he said this one time in one of our Wednesday morning times. He said, you know, God called us to reach a world that no longer exists." I don't know this America. I I, I don't know that that nation. America was birthed in strength. We have forefathers who stood in biblical precepts, biblical-based places where they maintained our nation. But the spirit of Delilah has seduced us into cutting our locks off one at a time. School prayer got removed. The Bible got removed from our classrooms. The scripture got removed from our courts. Our mayors and our governors could no longer pray in public. You should read David Barton's book on that subject. I can't remember the new title. Um, I had the original one, and then I recently got a new edition of it. And uh, I can't remember the title of it, but if you look for David Barton's books, it's really a good study of that very thing and what happened as a result of prayer and the Bible being removed from our schools, removed from our homes, removed from our TVs and our computers, and yes, from the church. But it was a quiet, gentle takeover, wasn't it? It wasn't a military takeover. It was kind of a quiet, gentle takeover. So that the spirit of Delilah was allowed to rule our nation one lock of hair at a time. And we yawned and said, Let's take a nap. We can handle it. Our churches are growing, our 401k is getting fat. (laughs) Ha ha, yeah boy, we're doing okay. We took a long nap. I hope we're waking up. I hope we're waking up. Because the scissors are pointed, are poised at the locks of our covenant. And it's happening. That covenant which we took for granted from our forefathers. A quick excerpt of a a book that I just read recently, I've I've mentioned this a couple of times, This Precarious Moment, written by two of my favorite guys, James Garlow and David Barton, whom I have had the honor of knowing fairly personally through the years. It's in the chapter that's titled, What Happened to Biblical Christianity in America? America has shown great resiliency in the past, surviving other challenges, including numerous wars and even a bloody civil war. Yet all great nations eventually come to an end, including the Assyrians, Aztec, Greeks, Romans, Persians, and many others. They came, they flourished, they rose to world status, they remained strong for generations, they assumed they would always be in power, they all fell." The same fate may await the United States. America is in serious trouble today. Only the most naive dare deny it. The same indicators that heralded the fall of other great nations are now present all around us. What are some of those indicators? And I'm going to just read excerpts from three of the indicators that they have here. The, The first one I want to read an excerpt from is our moral compass. Moral boundaries and sexual limits are rapidly disappearing. We are now in the condition the Bible describes as, in those days, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. A landmark study published by Dr. J.D. Unwin, a noted professor at both Oxford and Cambridge, investigated more than 80 different civilizations and cultures across 5,000 years of recorded history. He found the degree of stability and longevity. Each experience was directly proportional to the rigor of sexual morality it practiced. Whenever marriage became disrespected, divorce easy, and sex outside of marriage widely accepted, for 100% of those civilizations, there was no example of a group retaining its culture after it has adopted less rigorous sexual customs. The next one I want to read an excerpt from is Innocent Blood. Sadly, murder abounds in America today, whether it is taking babies' lives in the womb, young men in gangs killing each other and innocent bystanders, or extinguishing the elderly and handicapped through euthanasia. The Bible repeatedly condemns the shedding of innocent blood, and history demonstrates that God always removes his blessing from the land where it occurs America is now such a land. I, I, I want to pause here a moment. I, I'm, I'm finding, and you, you guys know this, I've been very open about it. I'm getting shot at from all sides. I'm finding that many people have very strong feelings today about different things, like wearing masks. Some people have very strong feelings about that, even in the church. Very strong feelings some people have very strong feelings about social distancing. Uh, some have very strong feelings about the politicizing of, of COVID 19. Where were all those strong feelings when 60 million babies were being killed? Who? Hmm? Where were all those strong feelings about that? We've got strong feelings about masks. What about 60 million babies? Hmm, a little bit bigger issue, don't you think? I realize I'm being a little cynical here. it's like we have such strong feelings about masks 60 million babies well you know that's, that's going on I wonder where were our strong feelings about that where were our strong feelings when prayer was removed from the schools we just slept through it we just took a nap when Bible reading was stopped where were our strong feelings about that I didn't have any strong feelings. The church didn't rise up. We just slept through it. We just took a nap. Delilah put us to sleep on her lap. We said, yeah, I'll cut off another lock. It's okay. We can handle it. Hmm. When, where were our strong feelings? I didn't hear it from many. When the colors of the gay flag were washed across the White House. When gay marriage was legitimized by the Supreme Court. Where were our strong feelings about that? I heard a few prayers, hmm. Then we just bumped right past it. I nearly wept when I saw it. I I, I came into the kitchen, I told my wife, I said, you won't believe what I just saw on the news. You, You won't believe this. This is not America that I know. Where were our strong feelings about those things? You know? Let me go to the last one Proud decadence. When a nation loses its conscience, its sensitivities become calloused, and its threshold of embarrassment largely disappears. Today, what does it take? How far do you have to go, and what do you have to do to cause society to become ashamed or mortified? Do you, do you scan through the channels of your TV? Now, we only have rabbit ears, so I, I, don't, I don't know about cable and all that. But do you scan through about from about 7 o'clock to about 9 o'clock in the evening and see all the skin that's being displayed and all the weird, crazy things going on? That fam- that's family time. That's called family time before 9 o'clock. Did you know that? That the producers call that Between 7 o'clock and 9, that's family time. Mm. You ought to watch some family time sometime. Just just scan through. Uh, There's nothing to see there. What does it take? But as the Bible affirms, since they have rejected the word of the Lord, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. This certainly seems to accurately describe the American culture today. So, despite what we would like to believe, America is in trouble. She is not what she was even a generation ago. Selfishness has been substituted for service, arrogance for humility, entitlements for hard work, and personal pleasure for duty and responsibility, and even worse, many Americans are either oblivious or ambivalent to this precipitous slippage. Yeah, taking a nap. Just taking a nap. I don't want you to see this book as just a, a kind of a Debbie Downer report because there are lots of things in there. With every chapter, they say, here's some things we recommend. This is what can turn that situation around, and it, it has some very positive aspects. But like Samson, we have to get a grip on reality. We can't just sleep through it. We have to get a grip on reality. Now, I want to turn the page in the Bible. <laughs> okay, I want to be real bad. I want to turn the page in the Bible with you to the book which is right after the book of Judges. You know what that is? book of Ruth. Ah, a little bit of a different feel, isn't it? When I say book of Ruth, you kind of go, oh, okay, okay, now we're getting to something. And you're exactly right. Ruth took place, did you know this, Ruth took place during the days of the Judges that you just read about through the book of Judges? Did you know that? She could have been contemporaneous with Samson very very easily. It was during the same period of time. But Ruth speaks to us of God's intention in dark times. She's a light in the darkness and confusion of the book of Judges. Got a bulb here. Got a bulb shining if Samson represents the problem, Ruth represents the solution. So while Samson and Israel are floundering in selfishness and arrogance and entitlement and personal pleasure, while they're just moving in that direction, God is raising up a little seed over here in Moab. Most unexpected place you would ever expect. You would ever expect to see that. God's raising up a seed over in Moab. And it was a tiny remnant of just two little women. Tiny remnant Naomi and Ruth. Just a little bitty remnant. But it was a remnant of light, and it was a remnant of faith, and it was a remnant of courage. But what God called them to do and what God called them to be was not something which would make headlines in our day. It would never be captured on any of the TV shows. It would never be seen as important today. Ah, we're starting to home in on you. We're starting to home in on me now. Hmm, the seed. It was a call to character. It was a call to submission. It was a call to humility. It was a call to hard work. It was a call to faithfulness in dark times, in the toughest of times. I'm seeing the call of these two little no-name Jewish women As our call in the day of darkness and mixture and entitlement. The characteristics that Ruth displays are our call, I believe, in a time when the whole world is in fear. The whole world is in panic and the whole world is gripped with a lot of anger. Whew. Are you ready to hear a great call which God has put before us? Are you ready to hear what that looks like? We like to say things like this. I'm a nation changer for God. We like to say things. I heard this from a a, a young person recently. God's called me to be a spiritual tank. I just move into places and blasting away at dark places. I'm a, he didn't say this, but I'm a demon buster. You know, I'm one of those guys. I'm called to be the best, the cutting edge, the few, the proud, the marines. Hmm. Here's number one. I I, I read the book of Ruth again, so I would get a pretty good list. Here's number one, when God raised up a solution for Israel. By the way, a solution which would bring the greatest king that Israel has ever had, King David. And the Messiah himself was born from the lineage of Israel of Ruth. A real solution. I'm not talking about a little band-aid. I'm talking about what really makes a difference in the world of your influence, in the world that you live in. Isn't that what we really want to know? What's our call? What really is going to make a difference in our life? Number one, Ruth was willing to be a nobody in order to follow the Lord. which. I'm remembering one of John Garlock's teachings. Some of you know who John Garlock was. He was a dear friend, and I worked with him at Christ for the Nations. And One of the greatest honors I've ever had is knowing John Garlock. and In one of his teachings, he used to say, what, what prophet was it that was required to lie naked for a certain period of time? Uh, anyway, some of you know who that was, some prophet in the Old Testament. And, and John Garlock used to say, you know, there's one thing about being naked. You don't have anywhere to pin any badges on yourself. <laughs> I loved it. I love John. Just a great guy. Yeah. Being nobody in order to follow the Lord. Do you know what Ruth was always called? Ruth the Moabitess. Remember that? All through the book of Ruth, she's called Ruth the Moabitess. It's like a title that she could, could not ever get away. I don't think she ever tried to get away from it, but it never left her. Everybody that referred to it, oh, that's Ruth the Moabitess. That was not just a little passing moniker that she was dubbed with. Every Jew understood what that meant exactly. She is of the lineage of Lot, who was a loser and a mixture. That's what it meant. She is of the lineage of those people who worship the god Chemosh. I'm not saying it real well, but that's who it was, C-H-E-M-O-S-H, Kemosh. And that God was a bloody, horrible idol that demanded blood sacrifices of the people, even children's sacrifices. Yeah, she's of that group. Hmm, yep, that's her. They were the people that were despised by Moses because of their inhospitality and their lack of allowance of God's people to just pass through. Can we just pass through on the land? Nope. She was of the people, Moabites, who were excluded to the 10th generation. I said 10th generation from the house of the Lord. That was forever, by the way. I mean, when you excluded to the 10th generation, it's like, never. Oh, that's who she was. Ruth, that person, the Moabite.s she had married one of Naomi's sons who died leaving her a, a young widow but she loved she got a taste of the kingdom she loved Naomi's heart and she loved Naomi's faith and she loved Naomi's stability she didn't have that with Kemosh and she was to be a nobody in Israel in order to stick with Naomi. You know what, family? I think the church cares far too much today about what the world thinks about us. I think we care far too much about that. We are never going to win that contest anyway. You know, I have, I have pastors that I know, and they're friends. So I'm, I'm not... I'm not putting them down, but I'm saying I, I, I'm worried when I hear this. We've got to do some things that compete with the world. If the world has this good music, we've got to have that good music. And if the world has this, we've got to have this. No, we don't. No, we don't. That is not required of us. We need to be very careful with that. That's a poison that will get into our system. And I want you to listen to this in the message <laughs> translation. Did you know the Message Bible is now considered a legitimate translation of the Bible? 1 Corinthians. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you, not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women, that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses Chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking, right living, a clean slate and a fresh start, comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. (laughs) Isn't that great? I love the message. I love the message. She was willing to be a nobody for the Lord. Number two, she was not ruled by negatives. You know, most of us go through life, even into our old years, most of us go through life attempting to cover our negatives. I've come to a conclusion. This is just me. I'll just submit it to you. Decide whether you think it's true or not. That everybody has learning disabilities. Everybody. Including people who would be considered geniuses have learning disabilities. They have slots in their life where they miss it, don't see it clearly. I worked at Christ for the Nations for a number of years. And one of the stories was that Gordon Lindsay often would get mismatched shoes and mismatched socks and things like that. A great man that God used amazingly wrote, I don't know how many books Gordon Lindsay wrote, founded Christ for the Nations with his wife, Frida. Couldn't get his shoes straight. Frida had to help him get his shoes right. <laughs> we, we all have learning disabilities. Failures of our life. Things, times when we just blew it, we look back and go, ugh. Oh. There are things I look back on 30, 40 years in my life and then, oh, I think one of the biggest is raising our kids. You know, I counsel a lot of people, and one of the biggest disappointments, one of the biggest heartaches among husbands and wives is if we had only done this, raising our kids. You know, and that's a real honest view. You know, it's just like, oh, man. I think I could have done better in this area. Failures. Job losses. I mean job losses when it was my fault. Not when it was somebody else's fault. It was my fault. Failed marriages. Lack of success. Lack of success in things like thinking I could lose weight. And I couldn't. Thinking I could be disciplined and I simply wasn't thinking I could get rid of this habit that's been with me so long I haven't been able to overcome. Basically, I'm talking about all the stuff that embarrasses us. It's just just an embarrassment. Somehow, Ruth got past all that because she had it. She had it because of her culture, because of her past. But she got past that to the principles of God's Word. Look at Matthew 10. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Somehow, in her spirit, she got hold of that. I'm just not going to be ruled by those negatives. I've got them there, but I'm going to give that up to the Lord, and I'm going to lose my life, and he's going he's to give me something that will be better than that. I don't know how she got it, but she got it. She got John 12, 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. It's going to die. Okay, let her die. Let her die. I'm not going to be ruled by those things. Somehow she knew that her negatives, the, the loss of her husband, the loss of her honor in marrying this poor Israelite guy that dies... Loss of her virginity was a big deal. But that was, she somehow she got hold of the fact that is not the final verdict of my life. That is not the final verdict of my life. There is new life after death. Family, that's faith. That's faith. It's believing that God is greater and has a bigger plan than my negatives, whatever they are. And we've all got them. Is like learning disabilities we've all got them and if you don't claim to have them you're in delusion you're delusional <laughs> I'm sorry I hate to be the one to tell you that but you got a real problem there if you don't see any negatives in your life most of us do almost all of us do she was not ruled by those negatives number three she chose to stand in what she believed whether anyone else did or not she chose to stand in what she believed, whether anybody else did or not. Naomi came to the point where she said, things are too rough for me. I, I, can't, I, I can't endure this. i got to go back home. i got to go back to my home country. And her two daughters-in-law, who had married Naomi's sons, who had both died, both those sons had died, she said, you two girls, Ruth and Orpah." She said, you girls, go back. Go on back home. You, you, you'll be okay. Go back to your family. you got your own stuff going on there. And the Bible says this about Ruth. It says, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. That's the life of the other son. But Ruth embraced her and held on. Ruth embraced her and held on. And then Ruth made this astounding statement. She said, don't force me to leave you. Don't make me go home. Where you go, I'm going. Where you live, I'll live. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you die, I'll die. Get me a plot in the cemetery because that's where I'm headed. Wherever you die, I'm going to be right there with you, Naomi. That's where I'm going to be buried, so help me, God. Not even death itself is going to come between us. You know what? When I saw that and I read that, I said to myself, Lord, many people in the church today, and I don't want to be one of these, are just kind of kissing the word of God. Just kind of kissing relationship with the Lord. You know, a, a little devotional that I like to read in the morning, maybe one or two days a week, just I can read that little devotional. I'll, I'll go to church, but don't don't ask me to be a worshiper like some of you guys are. I mean, you know, don't, don't ask me to do something like that. I'm not going to shout before the Lord. I'm certainly not going to speak in tongues. I'm not going to be one of those people. Yeah, you know, yeah, Pastor Gary, I know you've got this thing about abortion. Abortion's wrong, but I'm not going to go out there on the sidewalk and look like a fool standing out there holding a sign and have people treat me rudely. You know what we're discovering, though? We're, this past Friday, I told Wally, I said, I bet, I, I bet we've had 15 cars that have gone past, all of them African-American, that have given us a thumbs up or a honk and a wave or a nod. Now, we had a couple that weren't that way. But, I mean, it used to be the other way around. Years ago when we started, it was the other way around. I am amazed that I I think something's happening. Even Even in the black community, I think something's happening. See, a lot of people will kiss the word, but they won't cling to it. They won't get hold, they'll kiss it. I hear a lot more of us today clinging to the word of scientists, clinging to the word of experts, clinging to the words of fear, than I hear people clinging to the word of God. Ruth chose to cling to the Lord, whether anybody else did or not. She said, that's going to be for me. That's the kind of sanctified guts that God is looking for today. When Ruth says, no matter what, even death is not going to separate me. Even death is not an exception. I'm going to follow whether anybody else does or not. Number four, she was obedient to her spiritual authority. Hmm, that's an interesting one. When she and Naomi got to Naomi's home country, she knew that she needed guidance. She knew that she was going to miss some things and wouldn't know how to do and how to make a living and how to survive in that environment. You know, it's wisdom to know, all of us, that we need spiritual authority. It's wisdom to know that you and I need spiritual authority in our life. We all need to be a person under authority. If you're a pastor, you need to be a person under authority. I really valued the pastors in California when I was traveling for 11 and a half years who would ask me, as soon as I contacted them, they would say, who's your pastor? And I could always tell them the pastor and his phone number. They could call him. I asked that question of any who call me, who's your pastor? And you wouldn't believe the answers I get, wobbly all over the place. Well, you know, this guy's... Anybody, so I said, okay, give me his phone number. I'd like to call him. Well, you know, he doesn't really know me. I mean, after all, our church is, you know, 4,000 people, so he didn't really know me, but then, mm, real wobbly. It's wisdom to know that we need spiritual authority. So she said to Naomi, in Ruth chapter 3, verse 5, she said, And Ruth said to Naomi, All that you say to me, I will do. Now that was risky. That was risky. That's a risky thing to say, isn't it? All that you say to me, I will do. I th- I, I have discovered. I don't just think this. I really know this because I've been I've been in ministry a long time. I've got high mileage. People are afraid of authority because many people have been hurt by authority. Just as simple as that. They have they have submitted themselves like Ruth did and somebody has hurt them and done the wrong thing and been very harmful to them. Perhaps it, was, it, perhaps it went as far back as to parents. Perhaps it was someone else in authority, some authority figure. And so when it comes to authority, they're very dodgy. They're very, mm, no, 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 not really. And, and, and they always kind of have a reason for not doing what you're asking them to do. Just kind of, mm, mm, no, 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 that's that's not my call, that's not my field. You know what? It really goes back to that issue I just mentioned a couple of minutes ago. It goes back to the issue of having sanctified guts, courage. We have to look at that fear in the eye and know what it is. That's important. It's important to know what it is. Call it by name. Don't don't put a nice name on something bad. Call it what it is. I fear people in authority. And say, I'm not going to be ruled by that. I'm going to stop being afraid of authority. Listen to this thought, family. And some would say it's self-serving as of a pastor to say, it. I'm, I'm, I always tell you the truth. I always tell you the truth. Sometimes it's going to be the right thing to follow your spiritual authority even when you think they are wrong. Now, The key word there is, even when you think they're wrong. When is that the right thing to do? I'm going to give you the answer. When is that the right thing to do, Gary? It's when you've looked at their track record and you see that they are a person of integrity, and you see that they are not self serving, and you see that they are doing the very best they can do to make wise and considerate decisions. And they have a compassionate heart. And you've seen the track record of their life. When that person says, can you do this? You put that in a different category than you do someone that you just don't know anything about. And you think, hmm. Chose to be under the authority of Naomi. Naomi. Because she could trust her she had seen the track record of her life number five she was willing to work as a servant look at Ruth chapter 2 then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers this is after they went back to israel and and Ruth is just kind of following Naomi's guidance and Naomi says, just go and glean in the fields. Now, that was a role for the poorest of people who had no crops of their own. If you didn't have any crops of your own, no fields, no crops, then you would be allowed to go around behind the reapers and kind of pick up the leftover grain, especially in the corner areas. Many of us that have worked on farms like I have, you know that the corner where the, where the tractor, or in that, in that case, it would be where the the, the instruments or the horses have made round at the corner. Often there's a little cut out there in a little place where you'll miss some grain. You'll miss a little grain. You'll, you'll do that just in harvesting, even when tr- with tractors. They could pick up that grain and, and they could work at that, and she was it was suggested that she would do that work that was permitted of the poorest of the people. She humbled herself to do the most menial labor, the labor that Else wanted to do. You know something? Every church that I know, and I know a lot, that are having live in-person gatherings like we are, taking the risk of doing that. A lot of the larger churches don't take the risk of doing that. But the churches that are taking the risk of doing that, I don't know of a single exception of those churches that are not really needing servants right now, really needing people to help in serving areas. Every church that I know is really needing that. Remember what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the things that God calls us to in the dark times, in the times of storm. How do you get through the storm? They don't demand titles. They don't demand honors. They just do what needs to be done. Nobody that comes on November 7th for work day is going to get a badge of honor, including the pastor. Nobody's going to get something pinned onto you. Ruth was willing to work, do the work that nobody wanted to do because she had a servant heart. Now, remember that this was all happening in the total mess of the time of judges. It was all happening at that very time. But this is character for today. I really believe this is character for today. Honestly, I don't know if America's already gone too far. I I can't answer that question. I don't know if America's already gone too far. But I know this, the character of Ruth is our best hope. It's our best hope. And as I mentioned earlier, she was honored to be one of the mothers of the Messiah and the mothers of the greatest king of Israel, King David. She and Boaz had a son named Obed. He had a son named Jesse. He had a son named David. And you know what? Anytime Jesus was called son of David, He never rebuked him for it. Even though David had sin in his life, he never rebuked him for it, calling him son of David. David was a great king. All because, think of this, all because a little outcast woman decided, she had the courage to say, doing the right thing is always right. Doing the right thing is always right, even when you're afraid, even when you're worried, even when you don't know what the future will hold. Doing the right thing is still the right thing to do. Amen.